Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you're listening to my podcast called Successfully Fun. All right, crowdfunders, how's everybody doing out there in crowdfunding land? Hopefully you guys had a great week, a great weekend. Hopefully you guys are getting that capital, getting that money rolling in, huh? emailing back those backers. So coming up on today's episode, I'm going to be talking with John Rott, that's W-R-O-W-R-O-T, and uh, why am I talking to him, you might be asking? Well, it's quite simple. He has a project on Kickstarter called Havesy's Dice. With a, I think he had about a $15,000 goal, and he's doubled it. And he's got a couple more weeks. He's got like 20-some more days to go. So, yeah, we talked. We chatted. We dove into the, the world of dice. Dice. I wish I had. I should have put some delay on that. Um, so, yeah. So, that's coming up. So, stick, stick around. So, for myself here... Um, I'm not feeling well. I'm under the weather. You can hear that. Hear that? Yep. And uh, I'm losing my voice a little bit because I've been talking all day. Just finished up an hour and a half uh, uh, lead call. And uh, yeah. And and uh, so my dad's real sick again. Probably the worst he's been in a, in a long time. And uh, I know I talk about that a lot. It seems like that comes up or my kids are sick. And by the way, my kids were sick all weekend. But I was at the hospital with my dad a little bit. And yeah, I'm watching him basically die. So I've got that going for me. And you can hear how I'm dealing with it by just uh, uh, fuck it, whatever attitude is what I have right now. Oh, I got to put a parental advisory now that I said the F word. It's what happens. But uh, yeah, he's he's not awesome. And it's only going to get worse. So we're waiting on a decision right now as whether or not he needs to have open heart surgery, that which I don't know how on earth that's going to happen with a man like this. And, and yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one right now around here. My wife, I'll get sent her a little congratulations. She passed her life insurance thing that she had to do all weekend. So she was gone a lot this weekend. So we had that stress. And, uh, yeah, it's just been... One thing after another. So I'm looking forward to tonight. I got to be honest. I don't have much going on after 5.30, after dinner. I'm probably just going to chill. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to take a little bit of time for uh, to just hang out. Sometimes you got to do that for yourself. I'm not doing a very good job of it right now. Uh, I was thinking about that earlier, how I just, I'm not taking time to, like, I haven't been to yoga in a while, which makes me mad. I pay for it, so I would, I should be going. And, um... So I got that going on, which is just me not putting myself first. And, uh, yeah. So we also had an interesting, um, well, I don't know. We're trying to plan. I don't know if this is interesting. I don't know if any of this stuff's interesting, to be honest. But we're trying to plan my son's birthday. It really kind of sucks if you live in a cold uh, state, you know, where it's cold. You have weather issues. And trying to plan birthday parties. Because you can only do so many things inside. You can only get so many bouncy houses. You have to excuse me for a second. I have to take a drink of water because my throat hurts so bad. Um, so I think we're going to do this like Marvin's Marvelous Mechanics, I think is what it's called. And this is not a, you know, a Chuck E. Cheese style place. Well, it is, but it's not. Nobody knows about this. It's, it's local to, to where I live. It's in Detroit area. And so I think we're going to go there. But you, you got to, you know, you got to get the 
the pizza from there. You only get X amount of quarters. It's tight. It's small. It's like, ugh, this just doesn't seem that cool. But I think my son will probably dig it. He digs anything. He, does, he doesn't care. But yeah. So, man, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Uh, kind of lightening up a little bit of the weird emails. I mean, you know, I think I talked about that on Thursday's episode of just getting these like random weird messages through uh, all of our uh, kind of our accounts, Facebook Messenger and our pure chat. So that's kind of calm now. So that's nice. Maybe we're getting out of the Mercury retro- retrograde or who knows? I don't know if what we are. If you don't believe in the Mercury, Mercury retrograde, I strongly recommend you checking that out and then keep track of that stuff. I, I firmly believe in it because... The weirdest stuff that happens to me, it seems like it's always in that time frame. But so I don't know. I had to do drink number two. So I got a new book that I strongly recommend everybody check out. It's called 54 True Facts. And if you follow me on the internets, the Facebooks of the world and Twitters of the world, you're going to see that I keep posting a lot of these. So I'm going to read one of these today and see if I can get your take on it, right? Here's one right now. Here's a true fact from this book. If the sun were the size of a white blood cell, the Milky Way galaxy would be the size of the United States. How about that fun fact? How about one more? How about one more true fact here? Here we go. You ready? The technology behind smartphone relies on up to 250,000 separate patents. Now, those are a couple of good fun facts, don't you think? All right. That's enough of me ranting. Let's get you to my conversation with John. But first, before we get into there, <clears throat> a couple things. If you got a crowdfunding campaign and you're struggling, sign up for my webinars. Yeah, rescue crowdfunding. Boost it. I can help you out. If you go to fuzzywenzel.me, you can sign up. So go do that. If you're still having trouble after doing a webinar, you can call me. Go to fuzzywenzel.me. Sign up for a call. We'd love to have, we'd, I'd love to chat with you. Uh, so you got that. If you like the podcast, can you tell people about it? Go tell a friend, you know, like us, give us a review. I'd appreciate that. And uh, yeah, if you need help with your crowdfunding campaign, reach out to me. I'd love to help. Okay, let's kick into my conversation with John. We're going to be talking about dice for the next 45 minutes. So strap on, strap up, and let's eastbound and down. Let's go do it. Here's my conversation with John. Oh, could you help me? If you do, could you show me? Could you put that thing up on me? Let's get freaky. Please, baby, teach me. Don't want to let you out my All right, John, I've hit the record button. The podcast recording has started. Nice. Awesome. So, John, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about what you're currently crowdfunding on Kickstarter 9? Because I know you have uh, other campaigns, but what are we talking about this time around? Um, hi, everybody. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Um, so my name is John Rock. What I'm doing on Kickstarter right now is I am, I'm a board game designer. So I'm in the tabletop games uh, department. And um, I create not just board games, but also uh, dice and unique custom dice. Um, a lot of the very popular dice on Kickstarter are like you know, engraved metal or, like, made out of alligator bone and stuff. I make dice-flavored dice that are just really pretty colors that are uh, a half-and-half design. So we call them halvesies dice. Um, so that's what I'm funding um, in the in the specific. Um, in the going beyond that, um, uh, doing a very big 
I don't know if push is the right word for it, but a very big motivation for what I'm doing in this particular campaign is, you know, and it always sounds so cheesy when you say it, is uh, world unity, actually. So okay. um, there's a unique thing about gamers. Um, some of you listening probably are gamers and play board games or what have you with your friends, and some of you may not. But there's a unique thing that happens when you sit down to play a board game um, in a gaming group. Gaming groups are pretty diverse. And um, when you sit down to play a board game, um, all like the sex, religion, and politics things that you could normally argue with or lose friends with over, you know, on Facebook arguing about, um, that stuff doesn't matter when you sit down to play a game. You know, the only thing that matters is, you know, who rolled better and did we kill the orc and how many victory points do you have and, oh man, you demolished my city or whatever it is um, in, in the games. And that's a really neat thing. So, um, so yeah, so I can tell you more details about how we went about that. Um, sure. Yeah. This is your podcast, so no, no, no. I, I'd love to hear. It. I mean, how how do you envision you know this project and the dice and and your uh, you know what you're working on? How, how how do you see that all working together? Oh, sure. Well, what we did when we had these prototypes, um, the the whole backstory of how these dice came to be. Um, that's. I mean, you could look that up. I don't want it, It's an awesome story, but maybe it's uh, twenty minutes for a time for another time. But um. Once these dice came to be, I ended up making a lot of uh, a lot of different prototypes. So this, because um, they're two color designs, so um, you know, a red on blue, we call them super dice, like Superman, or you know, um, gold on purple, and we call them queen's dice because um, they're beautiful, they look like a set of dice a queen would want to have. Um, and we did and, and fifty different color combinations, and they all have a cool name because that's just cool. So I took the prototypes and I sent them literally all around the world for a worldwide photography project in the name of Unity. So what, for example, I took, uh, we have a uh, yin-yang dice. They're, of course, half black and half white, as you'd expect sure. yin-yang dice to be. Um, and we sent them to Japan. And we had a volunteer photographer bring them to the Emperor's Palace in Japan and photograph them in a dojo outside of the Emperor's Palace because they're yin-yang dice. And then we That's have cool. another set, this beautiful purple and gray set called Moonlight Sonata, um, which we named after Beethoven's Symphony. So we sent them to Germany. And another volunteer photographer took them to Beethoven's birth home in Bonn, Germany, and photographed them in front of his home. Um, we have Venetian dice that were photographed on a gondola in Italy, and we have frozen tundra dice that were photographed on top of the Alps, like in like on a glacier, it's the Marmolata Glacier in the Alps, in the snow, because they're frozen tundra, and like, it's so, not only are like the locations are awesome, so it's like this like, dice meets gaming, meets photography, meets volunteers, meets world unity, meets mm -hmm. like, they'll just like each other thing, but like, there's, there's so much to the project, like I, I'm, I'm at a loss, usually, right. to even know what to talk about, like, do you want to hear about the dice? Because you game, I'll tell you about the dice. Are you into photography? Because your mind's going to be blown. Are you into, like, world unity and, like, we all just need to hug each other and our arms aren't big enough, so let's connect hands? You know what I mean? Then, like, then this is the project for you, too. It's just, it's such a really neat thing, Jeff. Yeah, it's cool. just, it's just, it's just, I, I'm, I'm blown away by the project that I created that has outright gotten bigger than me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, where was kind of the initial idea, though, on 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 the on the uh, the dice? You know, how did you come up with like maybe some of the color schemes, or you know, just where was that sort of origin of, of thought happening? Sure. Well, our um, 
refunded our first game uh, called King's Armory on Kickstarter at the very end of 2013, uh, November. And our very last stretch goal was to add two-tone dice to the game. Now, two-tone dice exist in the world. Uh, there are a couple of very large manufacturers, and they usually swirl the two colors together. So if it's red and blue, then it's going to be very thoroughly swirled together. You're going to see red and blue on both sides all over the place. Um, so, and that's what I expected to be able to source. I expected to just be able to go buy those from people. When I went around to all the different companies that make them, they all told me no or never wrote me back for whatever reasons I respect. That's their own choice. Um, so I went back to my manufacturer and I was like, um, you quoted me the price on these. Why am I the one looking for them? Right. Make it happen. And they were like, Oh, snap! <laughs> so we all scrambled and we worked together and we said, well, we don't want to do the two-tone swirl thing because, like, everybody does that. But we managed to do exactly half and a half. And I was like, okay, send them to me. And they showed up and they are stunning. And I was like, I literally, I kid you not, I fell on my knees and folded my hands and thanked God above because I saw the potential for... You know, for a, a company around not just games, but games and dice. And now here I am. That's cool. So, you know, how how do how do these dice work with all the different types of games out there? Is there a specific type of game that requires these types of dice, or, or how does that all work? These dice, um, I build them in polyhedral sets. Now, what that means is that there's seven dice inside of the little case that you get. So, um, and each of the die are pretty cool. Um, they're designed after platonic solids. So platonic solids are perfect polygons, and they're called platonic because Plato was the one who gets credit for identifying them. So um, all of the sides of the die are perfectly equal, so it's a perfect polygon. So that's a four-sided die, a die with six sides, a die with eight sides. Um, we do two dice with ten sides. So that when you roll them next to each other, you can do either 1 to 10 when you roll 1, or you can do 1 to 10 plus a second number. So you can do mm -hmm. 0, 1 to 10, 0. So you're going to roll all the way to 100. For those, and then a dice with 12 sides and a die with 20 sides. So um, there's like standard... If you're in the gaming industry, they're standard sets. Um, so they're good for like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or the myriad of um, RPG role-playing games that are out there on the market. You could also use them to substitute um, if you kick it super old school and you like your Monopoly and your Risk and things like that. You could use these to just kind of soup up your uh, your family, your older style family board games and say, you know what, these old white dice are boring i right. want to replace them with these awesome blue and gold ones or what have you that's really cool so i was thinking uh where can you see the photos you were talking about earlier is there is there a place that people can go to to check out the the the, the, the volunteers taking photos of your dice everywhere yeah absolutely um the obvious answer is on our kickstarter page we have all of them up there but we took like Instead of, oh, I was just so excited about it, Jeff. So thanks for letting me talk about it because I'm just like, whoa, all the time about it. So we took all of the photos and we put them on the Kickstarter page, but we actually put them into video slideshows. So they're actually really interesting to watch and they're all put to music. So instead of just like one photo of the dice in front of um, Beethoven's home, you can see um, 
we call them video slideshows. Um, so all my, all the photographers, all my photographers, all my volunteer photographers took um, like uh, approach shots. So shots of the area as you're getting closer to the thing. So we're, um, for example, there the dice that we took, the photos that we took in South Korea. Um, there, you you pretty much literally go on a tour of South Korea. You'll see a couple like really cool sites or photos that you may recognize if if you if you've seen any world photography. And then um, and then they get closer and closer to where the dice are. They kind of like climb up the side of a building, and then all, you see them on the roof of of a building in South Korea at night with the beautiful skyline and stuff. So um, yeah, on the Kickstarter page, we broke. Um, there's 50 mini videos that are about 20 seconds each. And we clump them into five categories of like meta videos that are five minutes. And in that five minutes, you'll see anywhere between usually about 17 to 20 different um, dice sets and, the, and all the photography for them. That, that, yeah, that's, that's sweet. That's a, that's a great idea in terms of connecting everybody. You know, just uh, let's explain a little bit more on that idea. Like where, you know, after kind of realizing that you can make dice or, you know, that you that you want to go down that rabbit hole, where does this idea of connecting everybody just start to kind of get into your mind and and, and then coming up with this idea of how to execute it? Um, gosh, a couple different places. I'm like, I'm a big community guy. Like, I can't say like I'm a local community activist or something like that. I just love people. I love the idea of family. Um. And I love the idea, uh, my own family, um, specifically in that biological and marital sense. Um, but also, you know, I'm the type of person, and I think a lot of people in our generation are, the type of person that when we were in college, our college friends and our dorm mates and the ones that ended up our best men and maids of honor in our, in our weddings, we referred to them as family. You know, like my best friend, I, I refer to him like he's my brother, you know. And, um, and, and family extends at times beyond, beyond the biological, you know? So, um, it's kind of the way I am with all my friends. I really, I try, I'm not always great at it cause I'm a person too, you know, but I try to treat my friends like they're family. So when, and that's how I feel with my gamer buddies who I meet at a game store or, you know, a friend's coming over my house and to play a game and he says, Hey, do you mind if I bring my buddy? You've never met him before. And I'm like, freaking bring it on. You know, I feel like whoever, Whoever I sit down to game with, whoever I invite to my home for coffee or tea or whatever, you know, is 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 a friend. Like sure. you showed up to my house, you're a friend, and it doesn't it doesn't take very long before I just you know I'll slap a family moniker on you too. <laughs> so it's just kind of my personality, um, and just kind of the way I view the world. It's kind of my own perception of well, one of my views of perception of unity is that you know our, we we all kind of share the same blood, that kind of thing, and. Um, and then on on the pragmatic side of things, on the on the how did this Kickstarter turn into it? To be perfectly honest, it didn't start altruistic as like, hey, let me send the dice around the world. Right, right. In the name of unity, we could all play a banjo by a fire. Like it was, it started as a cool idea. <laughs> I was like, hey, honey, wouldn't it be awesome if we sent the dice around the world? <laughs> and she was like actually yes and i was like yeah let's do it so i contacted a few people and it started with like five people who said yes and then in a matter of weeks it turned into 30 people who had said yes and that's when it went through it went through cool idea to 
brilliant marketing scheme because I do run a business. Forgive me. When I got to about ten, and my and the locations really started to increase, I was like, oh my gosh, like this could be really cool. Right. And then um, on that sense, and then when it got to like fifteen, twenty, and like and the, the photos started coming in, like like all the wind leaves your sails, and you realize like you're not the one fueling this thing anymore. Like you're not, you're, or maybe all the wind fills your sails because you're not <laughs> rowing, you're not rowing anymore, you know? And it's like, I'm not doing it anymore. This is bigger than me. I thought I was rowing across this ocean, but now I realize that this ocean could eat and kill me. I now realize <laughs> that it is, it's the, it's the grace of God that is blowing wind into the sails that this boat is still moving. I thought this was a cool idea. And now I realize how small I am. And that's uh, awesome. yeah, that's always a good moment for anybody. So, yeah. So what's been the biggest pivot maybe you've had to go through over the last uh, couple of years here or whatever it is making the dice? Like, like what's been a moment where you maybe couldn't do something you wanted to, or you had to change something? Has there been anything like that that's happened? Yeah, there've been a number of those, um, you know, small business woes, I guess you could call them that. Uh-huh. But, um, most of them, I guess most of our small business woes are kind of like the standard ones. Our families financial structure is unique to begin with. I mean, we're like, we're, we're, we're poor young couple living in Los Angeles, standard issue story, you know, but um, right. we, um, we were kind of, con- this sounds crazy, but we're kind of content living at the poverty line. Mm-hmm. So not because we're deadbeats or anything like that. Like we don't, I don't care to be rich and own a mansion. And, you know, we both teach for charities you know, and things of that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, surviving was easy. It, it was, it's dealing with, um, dealing with companies that don't work with the same integrity that I do has been uh, honestly some of the biggest hiccups. Okay. Is so, there any yeah, like, like specific example where like, I don't know, just, you, you know, you couldn't get the type of dice you're trying to make or anything like specific to this campaign? To this campaign, um, no, so far this campaign's been going very well, um, but we got through hiccups in order to be able, honestly, to be allowed to do this campaign. Our dice manufacturer right. at one point said, you know, these dice are too hard to make. We don't want to do it anymore. It took, you know, more work, more effort than we initially thought, um, and we don't want to do it again. And I was like, no, you can't say that. But then ultimately, you know, after a couple days and weeks settled and, um, and the product got the first run of the product got out onto the market because um, we do have a couple dice on the dice line out the market already. Um, and they saw how well received they were and that the compliments were coming in. And, and, you know, and I said, look, I understand that these are, that they're hard. It's the reason why nobody's made them like this before. There's a reason that I'm the only one that's doing it. You know, what's the price? Like it's manufacturing. It, it's okay right. that it's hard. Making a car is hard, but I pay more for a car. So this is easier than a car. So I know it's doable. Like, you know, what's the price? Let's work it out. So, um, so, so, so that was one. You know, pretty- we had some hiccups with international distribution too. Um, but that's a whole different, that's a whole different saga. <laughs> yeah. So, so for somebody like me, who's never, I mean, I literally have never thought about making dice. What makes it more complicated or less complicated? Uh, you know, where would those hangups and pivots and problems be when making sure. dice? Um, well, if you think of like your standard six-sided die, that cube that you get inside of pretty much every board game ever since we were two. Well, my grandma has, right? My grandma's yeah, exactly. got some of those. 
Um, you know, they're white and they've got the little black dots on it for the number of, you know, for the number on each side. Um, that's very easy. You pour white plastic into a mold, um, and then when it comes out, you have a die, and then you paint the little circles. It's very easy. Right. right. If you're going to make it in, say, orange, what shade of orange? How dark? You know, it gets a little bit more complicated. Right. So then if you're going to make it slightly translucent or then how translucent, how much light do you want it to bear? Because if it the same orange bearing light is going to not look the same orange anymore. What if you want it pearlescent? You want it to have this like multicolor sheen within it. So it looks like it's this, it looks like it, it's like it's pearl. It's an orange pearl or a blue pearl. Sure. Um, well, how much and how little? Da, 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 da. And then you want two colors. So then you're going to have an orange pearl with the blue pearls. So you've got this really cool, like, fire and ice-looking combination. And then you put the first color in the mold, and then you shoot the second color into the mold, and then they swirl. And that's why swirl dice are very popular, because um, they're easy to make. Comparatively, they're the hardest on the list so far, but they're easier than what we're about to do. So then you want two colors, but you don't want them to swirl. So you pour molten plastic into the bottom half of a mold. And then you pour molten plastic into the top half of the mold, but they're not allowed to swirl. So the bottom half has to cool enough that they won't swirl, but it can't cool too much because then the dice will split in half along the equator. So, wow. Yeah, it's actually there, – there's a reason why they're too hard. There's a reason why nobody else does these. Well, where do you exactly fit in that situation? What are you bringing to a dice maker? Like, what, what uh, is it design, sketch? What do you bring to them? Um, honestly, at this point, they're so good at what they do in the actual dice factory. Um, mostly at this point, all I need to do is I need to bring to them Pantone colors. So when you go ah. down to Home Depot and you want to paint your wall and you got all those pretty swatches and you pick, like, the, swat, the pink swatch and it's got, like, five pink swatches and it's got a little coat underneath. Sure, sure. That's called Pantone. That's actually, you know, that's... Universal is actually pretty standardized across the world. So, um, so I have a Pantone book of every Pantone color, and I thumb through until I find the perfect shade. I have to mentally adjust. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I have to mentally <laughs> adjust for what's going to be changed. So our dice are pearlescent and semi-translucent. You can't see through them, but if you put a flashlight up to them, they bear more light. Um, so it helps on the table under your gaming light or whatever, your kitchen table light, your chandelier, it, it increases their shine and their, and how vivid the colors are. So, but since I'm going to bear light, if I want blue, you know, blue with a darkness of Z, then I need to choose like blue with a darkness of like Z plus so that the plus is washed away when it bears light. Or whatever. So I just bring up colors at this point, which is great. Yeah. We're, we're through the hard part. Right, right. So, you know, what What right now are you envisioning this campaign kind of going towards in terms of of the types of dice you're doing? You know, where do you kind of – how far do you expand on these ideas in terms of like, you know, the, the super dice and the, the gamma and the, all the different titles you have? How far do you see that kind of going? Um, honestly, I'm willing to take it as far as the industry is willing to sustain it okay 
you know, so long as there, there's nothing for me that really says, um, you know, I don't want to do X or I don't want to do Y color, you know, so long as people are saying, hey, there's still a market for more color options than you've already provided. We already, we made 16 different color options. We made, um, I think that the number's like 26,000 or 33,000 or something like that. Yeah. Let's go with 26. 26,000 sets of dice and they sold out in three months. Wow. Yeah. So good problem to have, right? Yep. So um, I'm, I'm, like I said earlier, I'm super community. I'm super family oriented and things like that. So I let my backers choose which colors we're going to make. So if I were to choose, they'd all be blue. <laughs> my favorite color. I was like, oh, let's do blue. Let's do blue on white. Let's do blue on blue. Let's do blue on bluish white. It just makes them all the same. But so I let my I let the backers on my campaigns vote for which colors we want, and we're currently voting in the um. In, we also thematically name everything. So our current category is the Romantics, and it's um and they're dice that are photographed at what could be considered amazing honeymoon locations all around the world, like the Caribbean and things like that. That's funny. So let's back up a little bit. So where did you grow uh, grow up? Where? Yeah, where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Glorious, New Jersey, my friend. Nice. I'm an East Coast boy, but I live in uh, Cali now. All right. And how did you get to California? Um, God, I'm a religious man. Okay. This is what it is. But, um, you know, before I even met my wife, or we consider ourselves an arranged marriage in that divine sense, um, before I was introduced to my wife, I, uh, you know, I considered coming out to um, – the West Coast actually for acting, for film and television and things of that sort. And, okay. um, and you know, all in this prayerful divine plan sort of thing. And, um, and then when I met, um, when I was introduced to Anne, you know, and God started bringing it down that category, I said, you know, I've got interesting news. I'm strongly considering moving to California. And she's, a, she's from Buffalo, New York, so you can imagine okay. the change that that would be for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Snow all the time. And um, and she goes, oh, great. I was too. I was thinking South Carolina or California, but if you want California, then California it is. And I was like, God, you're so good. <laughs> so good. You know what I mean? How did that not turn into something that was complicated? It was just right. easy. So we both kind of wanted to come out here for, you know, for divine reasons and for weather reasons. And um, – because she's, you know, she's she's been referred to as a wayfish hippie girl before, based on her stature. Oh. And um, thin, beautiful women don't do well in Buffalo, where you freeze to the bone because bone. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so, so she was so, happy to move out here. So growing up, what was kind of the games like? What were you playing? Um, you know, were your parents real supportive of the gaming community, or you know, what what, what was it like? Uh, it was actually mostly my my big brother, my older brother Ed. Um, hi Ed, and uh, he uh, he played. He's about four years older than me, so you know now that I'm in my thirties, it doesn't seem to mean anything. But when I was twelve and he was sixteen, it was a big gap, you know. And um, and so he was already playing some D and D games and stuff like that, and his brain was more wired for that, like you know, the mathy side of things. So he learned how to run the games, and he decided to try running for me and a couple of our local friends. And um, long story short, it worked out. I've been a I've been, I've been a geek ever since. <laughs> so that, that, yeah, that, so that's interesting. And and you know, were you, 
were your parents like supportive of you know kind of getting into the gaming how you're doing it right now like you know i just you know you're you're making dice you're making games what was what was the support system like um yeah the support system you know it was it was like the early 90s so it was still when there was a decent amount of like confused mythology because of a couple silly Tom Hanks movies as to whether or not Dungeons and Dragons was actually inherently evil or something like that. And like I said, we're, we're religious people. So right. my mom was like, you know, what are you guys actually doing? You know? And, um, so at first she was like, I, I get it. Cause I trust my kids cause I raised them well, but at the same time I'm a little leery, you know, tell me a little bit more. But then when she was like, Oh, you're basically, you're basically playing a video game without watching TV. Oh, this is brilliant. Right. Right. <laughs> Keep going, children. <laughs> so then the support system turned into, Mom, can we have the dining room table for 12 hours? And she said yes. You know, and, um, and it was mostly it was mostly big brother-led. Um, and my parents, you know, my parents have always, they've, they were, they're, they're both great. My mom and dad are great. They were, um, they put a lot of trust in uh, all four of us. You know, each one in it were very, four very different children. But um, they, she put, a, Mom and dad put a lot of trust in us. And, um, you know, and, and we reciprocated that. So, um, you know, for the most part, we stayed out of trouble. We were still kids and did stupid things, but, you know. So uh, what what what'd your parents do? Or what do they do? Um, my dad is a, um, you know, he probably has a much more glorious story because he's been doing it for so long, but he's a uh, food distribution salesman. Okay. So um, he's actually, if you're on the East Coast listening to this and you have really really good cheesesteak meat at your favorite local cheesesteak place. My dad's the reason why it's better than it used to be. Um, <laughs> so, and then, so you're welcome. And then um, my mom is actually retired, I think, formally on disability or something. She um, she was a nurse. Um, okay. And uh, she had a very large, very angry, slightly drugged um, uh, patient throw a hospital bed at her. And it took uh, her back out, and that was kind of the end of that. But um, wow. but for the most part, she's she still she's still like mobile and functional. She just can't do that level of work and be on her feet yeah. that long anymore. So so that's good. So um, yeah, good people doing good things. Yeah. So where do you see that entrepreneur spirit that you have? I mean, you're running this as a business. You've this, you've done multiple campaigns. Uh, you treat it like a business, like you said earlier. Yeah. How, where do you think that came from in your in your family genes? Probably my dad. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, my mom too. They're both, and it's just, I mean, it's biological. If you just that, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the four humors or they call them the four temperaments, basically, which Ninja Turtle are you? That sort of thing. Um, I think I'm, I'm Leonardo is what I've, I've always been described as Leonardo. So. Oh, nice. And that explains your podcast and your friendly attitude, right? Probably. And then, yeah. and then um, so I'm Raphael, but the, the, the Raph, Raphael is just generally treated as like the rude guy, but um, the <laughs> the other aspect of of that temperament is is leadership. Um, it's a very strong leadership. It's an entrepreneurial leadership. It's an outgoing leadership yep. that just kind of wants to do things. Tends to want to do them on their own, you know, that sort of thing. And um, I think it's kind of just where my entrepreneurial spirit comes from. I'm very um, 
temperament's referred to as choleric. It's the it's the go getter, extrovert, leader, get it done. I kind of don't care what you think sometimes, and that's why I accomplish so much. Um, right. Sort of mentality because you know it's that I can't please everybody. And there's some people that want to please everybody, and there's some people that want to please everybody but understand that they can't. So say I'm sorry, three <laughs> percent. You know, kind of move on. Right. I'm kind of in that category, but I love that three percent also. And therein also lies the voting, you know, yep. so I put the voting out for my backers and, you know, you're going to have like 20% that don't get what they want. And at the end, it's like, I'm sorry, but we voted. Right. We are going to move forward with this is what the people chose sort of thing, you know. That's hilarious. Never heard it described as teenage mutant, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I, yeah, you're spot on. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> nice. Sorry, Leonardo, does it work for you? I'm sorry. Well, yeah, well, it does. Questions yeah. now, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, no, Leonardo does. Uh, you know, I think jokingly, I've that's come up a few times in my life, not recently, but uh, you know, I think that's how I, people would describe it. So, or describe the, me, I should say. The Leonardos and the Raphaels of the world are the uh, are the are the natural leaders, and the Michelangelos yeah. and the Donatellas of the world are the natural team players. Yep, I, I see it, hundred percent. I get it. Yeah. So how about support system from your wife? Has it been challenging uh, being a young couple with, uh, you know, a new kid, just, just you know, running Kickstarters and, 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 and doing this sort of entrepreneur spirit? Jeff, I'm not going to lie to you. My wife is perfect. <laughs> oh, wonderful. You found the perfect wife, huh? Really You're the did. one. You're the one, yep. huh? Yep. She's, she's perfect in every way. So she's, she's amazingly supportive and she's an amazing mom. And um, we've been blessed enough that my work is – enabled her to be a stay-at-home mom and um she likes what she does she teaches uh she works in social work and um and so she used to work for catholic charities for about seven or eight years and when little john came along um she became a stay-at-home mom the rapper i'm sorry did you say the rapper little john they see a rapper that's awesome no my two-year-old <laughs> okay yeah you, you should look up little john i'm totally gonna do it <laughs> yeah uh it's <laughs> just yeah, funny. So let's let's. My son living the thug life. You know? Yeah, he is living the thug life. I think he, you're gonna have a big gold teeth. I think when you when you hit the Google and little John. So <laughs> I'm doing it right now. Just <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's flip a little bit over to the actual Kickstarter. So you know, I, I think you've ran six, seven. How many have you? You've ran quite a few right now. Yes, uh, this is my seventh Kickstarter. Okay, what's been the biggest difference between the first campaigns to to how the campaigns uh, is going this time? Um, well, there's there's little John. <laughs> I like the dreads, man. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. He's growl a lot. He doesn't look like a happy guy. He's growling yeah, I, in every picture. Yeah. Little John, cheer up, buddy. Yeah, I I think that's his vibe. <laughs> Apparently. So, um, so uh, what was the question? No, and just the. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you've ran you've ran a you know you're probably in Kickstart uh, expert land. You've ran a, a bunch of them. You've had a ton of success. So, what's been the difference between you know like the way this campaign's going compared to your last campaigns? You know, starting with the following is wonderful. There's, yeah. the, the, there's not the first week of you know clawing my eyes out and crying a little bit. Are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? Um, right. You know, we funded in under 10 hours and we unlocked our first stretch goal in five days. Um, so I'm just really grateful for that. You know, I think just having that having that fan base, I love you backers. You know I do. I tell you all the time, but I love you. Thank you. Um, you know, is it's the biggest difference. It's the biggest difference. It just takes so much stress off. 
I mean, knowing the ropes, you know, how to get here, putting up a Kickstarter page is fairly easy for me these days. I mean, it's still a lot of work. It takes a long time, but I'm not at a loss for what I want to do. Um, right, I know I want right. to do this, and I should have this, and this should look like this, and the order of the page should look like this, and this looks silly here because this and that, and people are going to want this up here even though I don't, so I'll move it. You know, I have that experience of, you know, that's the that's the best part of running is, you know, a seventh time. Was there any sort of pre-marketing strategy that you used for this campaign? You know, there not as much as there really should have been. Um, I'm a one-man show, so correction. Yes, there was a strategy, but no, we didn't really implement it um, because I'm a one-man show. Um, right. So there's only so much that I can do, and um, organizing the world tour, and then um, I did. Excuse me, I did outsource some of the um, graphic design for just cleaning up the photos because there's mm-hmm. 50 photo sets, and we got back over 3,000 pictures. Um, so that was a lot of work. So processing through them, and then. You know, and then directing the videos because there were 50 mini videos, and then they had to be reorganized, and then they, each mini video had to be adjusted to the length of the of the music so that it was hitting beats and then things like that. So it was just it was just a ton of work. It was just a ton of work organizing 50 prototypes with 30 volunteers in 20 countries. I don't even have all the prototypes back in my hand yet. So. Um, the pre-marketing strategy, you know, I was hoping for a lot, just that the world tour, just that the pictures around the world would really engage people, you know, and I posted yeah. on Twitter, you know, obviously I didn't, you know, I, I announced it on Twitter and some of my Facebook groups and face, you know, my own Facebook page, my business Facebook page and things of that sort. Um, I wanted to have um, pre-campaign coming soon ads up just to kind of start churning energy for day one because the day one snowball sure. is very nice. Um, but I honestly, I just... I ran out of time. So, but it looks like you've gotten a healthy amount of press. I saw like the, the man versus meeple and you've had a couple other ones. So was there any strategy to get them involved or, or have they already been supportive from past campaigns and they're, they're just kind of watching to see what you're doing? Um, that's a good point. I, I suppose I left them out. There's a, um, a little bit of both there. Um, I have a, a healthy list of good friends. I like to consider them friends that, you know, I've worked with in the past. Uh, so they've reviewed my previous board games. Um, maybe they already have my dice, um, and I just reached out to them and said, "Hey, could you, you know, would you be interested in, you know, doing a review of our dice? You know, you do a review of a board game. It takes you like six hours minimum because you have to read the rules, learn how to set it up, and then teach right. your friends, and then play like three times so you have a fair understanding, and then make a video review, and then link pictures." This is dice. Turn on a camera and wing it for three minutes and post it on YouTube. You know what right, I mean? Right. It's just a lot easier. Um, so we got a decent amount of, of press with that. But actually on my to-do list today, um, sitting right here underneath my um, my microphone, it says email reviewers. <laughs> so there's a large number of them that I've communicated with um, that I haven't seen anything posted with yet. They sent dice out too, but they haven't, you know, they haven't put anything up. That's cool. So just follow up with them. Right, and you've got a pretty, pretty, really good. Well, to me, it looks like a really good stretch goal strategy. How did you come up with those and decide how they were going to work inside of the campaign? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and uh, for your listeners who who love learning more and more about Kickstarter stretch goals, um, I, and it varies depending on your on your category on Kickstarter, of course. But stretch goals, I think, are really, really important. Um, it's a it's not. It shouldn't be seen just as a way to get more money out of people. 
Um, yep. But a way to reward your backers for pledging more than your goal. So say you need $7,000, you know, what happens if you get 9, 10, 12, or 100? You know, like you have more money to be able to give people. So, so they are stretch goals. So that's kind of, for my usual campaigns, that's the way that I kind of build that into mind. This campaign happens to be unique in that um, with each new stretch goal, we can unlock a new set of dice. So, you know, I have my minimum order quantities and then the freight goes up and then the, everything else goes up with each new set that we unlock, of course. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we set up our stretch goal strategy um, all on budget. You have, if you're listening to this to learn, you must do it on budget. Don't wing it. Build a budget so you actually know what it would cost for those extra things. Um, I've seen too many good people fail because they didn't budget stretch goals or shipping yep. correctly. Um, so, you know, I, just, I budgeted out what would it cost to add a new set. Okay, at this level, what would it cost to add a new set? Okay, at this level, and it because at each level it costs more. Yep. Um, I have more backers that will claim that set, and therefore I need to make more, right? So um, just budgeting it out over and over and over and over again, how many I'm going to need for for each level, and then cool. throw it up there. And then I mean, our current ones are exactly fifteen thousand apart. I mean, it's like twelve thousand, seventeen thousand, fourteen thousand, eighteen thousand, twelve thousand, back and forth. You know, it varies a little bit. I was just, you know, I leveled it to fifteen thousand just because it, it, it looks nicer and reduces right. confusion. So, so I was looking at this too. So, being a one man show, I mean, you have six hundred and fifty backers right now, which that's, and you still got twenty some days to go. But you also have three hundred ninety one comments. How are you keeping up with all of the information, all the data? Do you have any systems or techniques you're using to just, you know, to stay on top of this campaign with with this sort of uh, engagement going on? Um. For for most of the most of the data and stuff, you know, like I I pre-plan as much as possible. You know, when I see six hundred and fifty backers with thirty-one thousand dollars raised, this to me I've already planned for. I have my budget planned for. I know how many backers I should have if we unlock every stretch goal and things of that sort. Based based on like excessive excessive math. I right. like math. So excessive math. Um, and then as far as the engagement, like I said, I'm in it for the community. I check my Kickstarter page probably like, I'm not exaggerating, at least 20 times a day for new comments. And um, and I responded to um, every single comment individually, every comment. Yeah. So, because um, you're, you're people and I like you. Yeah, you got to say hi. So come say hi. <laughs> So, 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 what does the next twenty-two days look like? I mean, how, what, what do you, what do you have planned? Are you doing anything special over the next next couple of weeks? Uh, you know, what, what's the temperature like? What do you, what do you think about doing? Um, I have a personal saying that I do not believe in the mid-campaign slump. So we're officially one week in, which is where the mid-campaign slump usually shows up, and. Um, and so I, as of this morning, begin waging war on the mid-campaign slump. <laughs> so I'm going to start, um, like I said, my first thing on my to-do list today is to email reviewers. Um, so I'm going to start emailing those reviewers and see if I can get a new review going up. I know at least 50. I have them listed on my website to help promote them. You know, so yeah. you know, contact them and say, hey, 
you know, can I get a review, you know, you on this day, you on this day, you on this day, and see if I can stagger it out and do a review like every two to four days for the rest of the campaign. Um, and then, you know, um, you know, Twitter blasting, which honestly, it only goes so far. Yeah. <laughs> I think Twitter gets a lot more respect than it rightfully deserves. So honestly, I wouldn't spend too much time on Twitter. I mean, if you want, if you want a political rant, then I think Twitter's the place. Twitter's but perfect for that right now. It, yeah, the only thing that seems to be trending is people not having unity on yep. Twitter. So yeah. it's not Twitter's not a very healthy place. Um, if you have a decent following of people in your industry, then a tweet every now and again, you know, you, you, you'll you'll catch a few more flies. Um, but do it with honey, and then. Um, so and then you know Facebook and we have a few more ads that are going to be going up on some pages and to me it's just it's the it's the constant you know it's a constant war. Hopefully I'll get a couple you know ambassadors that will jump on the campaign and say you know what I love what you do. How can I help? Yeah. You know and you know get a couple more you know troops out in the field spreading the word and because when i post on like a facebook gaming group and i'm like hey i have a kickstarter and people are like it's self-promotion and i'm like i know because i care about my product but right. some people are turned off by it something i honestly don't understand when people self-promote i'm like good for you 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 worked hard enough to get here tell me right. about your thing you know yeah. but some people don't like it and it's nice when it, and a third-party recommendation is always nice i mean if it's, just, it's the same thing with a compliment. If somebody says, hey, Jeff, I, I love your awesome handlebar mustache there. It's, <laughs> Thank you. It's pretty cool. You know, thanks. That's great. Right. But then you hear somebody else, like in the next room, who thinks you can't hear, being like, you know, Jeff's handlebar mustache, I think it's really kind of stylish. I, I, you know, I love the way that he rocks that thing. It feels really nice when it comes from that third party that's not right. actually engaged, right? Sure. So, um, yeah. So hopefully that, and it's war. It's all yeah. war on the on the mid campaign slump from here on out, and, <laughs> yeah. and then getting ready for the last four days, which are going to be big. Right, right. So, and then you know, what do you see the next five years looking like for Habsy's Dice or, or or projects you have going on or games? You know, what do you see? What do you see in the future? Um, I have a personal goal of becoming one of the top three dice companies in the world. In under cool. three years, um, it's big, but I, it's a goal, and it's good to have big goals. Yeah. So if I fall short and I end up in the top five, that's not bad. But for now, right. I'm gunning for the top three. Um, and then we got a couple more games in the works. We have a meta expansion for our first game, the King's Armory. Um, we have a couple more board and card games that are coming out. Um, and five years is a long time. Yeah. So. That's probably just for the next two. Now, are you doing anything with uh, with like traditional retail at all with with your past games, and or, or do you see that for the have these dice? Uh, yeah, we are in retail for for our games and okay. for our dice. Yep. Uh, and how uh, how is thing. how the is that just set up? Much smaller, but I mean, it's the whole bulk sales thing. When, when right. you get a check for multiple thousand dollars because you sold just that many, you know, it's it's very nice. Yeah. And then, so you appreciate that aspect of things, and that's what really funds, you know, reprints and things of that sort. And sure. Really, you know, spreading the brand and getting it out there and getting it in front of people and people learning what you are and what you stand for. Uh, yeah. And then selling at conventions is totally different because the margins are super high because there's no overhead anymore because it's me standing there selling it to you, you know, 
And um, and then that's pleasant too because you're like, oh wow, this is kind of like bonus money because I'm not used to making this this much on a set, and this 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 feels nice. And they're both they're both a very rewarding experience as a business owner. Sure, sure. So so with your product being so global and you pushing a global you know tone to everything, you know, how did you attack shipping to make sure that you you know. Uh, yeah. didn't become like one of the stories that we've heard in the past of I did calculate shipping correctly. Sure. Um, you, you know, you just, you need to do it right. And you need to do it right the first time. There's no, there's no, I launch on Kickstarter and then people are telling me, Oh, but the global shipping's too high. And then you say, Oh, then I'll look into it. If you're going to take care of your global customers, then look into it before and have a solution for them. So when they show up the first time, they're happy. Um, and if you want to say, you know what, this is, I'm really just going to ship from the USA and it is what it is. Thank you very much. Then that's okay too. But you, you know, you need to have that decided from day one. But, um, so obviously we're doing global shipping. Um, so we do, uh, we call it EU friendly shipping. So we ship from within Europe to Europe so that they don't have to pay an import tax on the oh, full nice. value. I get taxed when I bring my stock in. Um, and at that point, the product has been taxed, and then and then I ship it out to the backers. So when the back when it shows up at their door, they get an exciting gift, and not and not an exciting gift with a bill. <laughs> with a bill, right? No, nobody wants that. <laughs> well, and cool. there's plenty. I mean, for people who are listening to this, you know, w- wanting the answer to the next question of like, oh my gosh, who do I contact? There are a lot of places these days. Honestly, yeah. if you. I, I haven't done the formal Google search for it, but I bet if you Google search for EU friendly shipping supplier or something like that, distribution center, I mean, I can name several off the top of my head. There's a couple I would recommend you working with, um, but let's keep this positive. Yeah, yeah, they're out there. They're out there. Well, John, this is a great, great, great episode. I think I got one more question that I usually like to ask the people that are into the gaming world. So if you were on a desert island, what game would you take with you? Oh, jeez. I'm on a desert island alone? Because then it would have to be a solo game. Or I'm on a desert island with my family. It's just you, man. All right. It's just you, and you need something to entertain yourself with, and you need a game. You know, I don't want to sound like self-important or pat myself on the back or anything like that. Nobody likes it when you mention your own item, but I'm going to. <laughs> oh. I, I, it would be my first game, The King's Armory, because it is... It, you can play it solo, so I could play it by myself, <laughs> and uh, and it's long. It plays in about four to five hours, so okay. it, would, it would burn a lot of time sitting there underneath the palm trees, right? Fighting monkeys for my coconuts. <laughs> All right, John, good answer. I'll, I'll let you slide with the answering with your own product. That's okay. Uh, I know. Okay. I'm sorry. There are a lot of other good That's co-op a- games out there you can play solo, but I, I need one that, that kills a lot of time, also. Right, right. All right, man. Well, thanks so much. Uh, congratulations again on a great product, Habsy's Dice. Uh, if you're out there, you want to go check out the Kickstarter. It's still active, and i got a couple more weeks to go with it. And, uh, John, I appreciate you taking some time. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. Do it now. All right. All right. How about that conversation with John? A lot of cool stuff in there. Really, I thought it was 
really intriguing to talk about you know the manufacturing process of dice and what what it takes to end and i was just fascinated by it because there's so much that i've never thought of i mean literally never thought of when it comes to dice so uh john thanks again for taking some time so the song we're gonna be listening to is a song called chemistry and it's definitely got some strong sex appeal if i if i do say so myself it's a song that i wrote with my buddy jake long time ago uh it was on our 2008 album of the sugar people you can actually find this song on spotify and you can add it to your playlist if you want a little more jeff fuzzy wenzel in your life this is a great opportunity to do it so i hope you enjoy it and i'm gonna talk to you guys all on thursday with it with another episode all right till then keep it going can you give it to me 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 let us sing let us rise don't let this moment pass us by i know i want you want it all night long let us sing let us rise don't let this moment pass us by i feel this party's heating up don't miss this So fine, that's how I like it That's how I like it I take my hand before it's too late The little one's outside And it won't make me still be going I'm not sad I'm sleeping We feel like glasses with champagne With the windows down, we can't complain You can call this love, but love's in vain But I know you what you will Can you give it to me? Can you give it to me?